Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 1st of October. It's the scary month. Uh, This is episode 297 of Bitcoin, and it's brought to you by Justin Sun, who says, if you ask questions about their generous severance package, he will kill your entire family. Tron is a mission-focused company. Its mission is to copy Ethereum. That advertisement written by at DGENTECH, that's at DGENTECH on Twitter. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate your support. Don't kill my family, please. Hey, man, let's fucking go, bro. Hodel Knot has announced that the Supreme Court in Norway today rejected CSW, that's Craig's rights thing. He's suing our beloved space cat. Anyway, he re, uh, the Court of Norway uh, rejected CSW's jurisdiction appeal, awarding me a cost of $6,000 on top of the $60,000 that's already owed. His perfect loss record is intact. He has lost four out of four court cases. The real case, however, will now go forward in Norway, where another loss surely awaits him. Welcome to law. Thank you, Hodel and Not. I appreciate the, uh, the news. And at one point or another, I can't wait to be able to actually talk to you about this entire fiasco. Um, yeah, uh, I, that's all I'm going to say about that. I've promised Hodel and Ott that I'm not going to say anything, but dude, it's like been over well over a year and I haven't said shit. Can you imagine keeping a secret for over a year? That's called ethics, dude. Not, not, I'm sorry, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying that it's very, very, very difficult to sit on shit and not be able to say anything about anything until the, whole, until the fat lady sings. When you're in a Viking opera and the fat lady hasn't sung yet, you're in, there, in your seat going, oh my God, please, please end this thing. I can't stand it anymore. I just can't. Anyway, so uh, good, good job, Hodel and Ott, for sticking it out. For the little guy, and and be aware, <clears throat> the first judgment against Craig Wright in the Hodelanot saga netted him a loss of sixty thousand dollars. He owes that sixty thousand dollars to Hodelanot, and guess what? He hasn't paid. What's the what's the point of suing somebody? What or what's the point of having a judgment either for you know for your side or against your side in a lawsuit if you can just get not pay. The whole thing is ridiculous. And the only thing it really does is put good people on the hook to lawyers for their fees. That's it. Anyway, sad news, however, Pigsby is to close. This was this is on their pigsby.com. 
website. This is an announcement that they made yesterday. We're sad to announce that after almost three years of intense work and an extremely challenging 2020, Pigsby will be closing its doors due to global economic conditions brought about by COVID. We were unable to secure the additional funding required from investors to develop a commercial model for Pigsby. Tackle the global regulatory challenges we faced as a crypto-related business and then scale. We have therefore decided to put the project to bed. We are filled with gratitude for our customers and community who made it possible to launch our free pocket money game alongside our beloved Piggy Wallet and are pleased to have been one of the few projects in the space to have actually delivered a real, working, and useful product for kids and parents. I'm really sorry to see this occur. Um, Pigsby has been around for quite a while. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it, they've been around for they've been around for a long time. I first reported on on this company. Oh God, I want to say it was like probably well over six months ago, probably nine months ago, maybe even more like a year. I'm not sure. It's been a while. But to see good people go down because of this stupid COVID bullshit nonsense is hard. It's it's hard to watch because there's there's so many scammers in this space and so few people who actually deliver like they said. They'll deliver you the ability to get poor. Oh, you'll find no end of, of amount of people that will take your money for nothing and leave you poor and homeless living under a bridge. But there's very few people that actually deliver product like Shamari. The the Shamari game, <clears throat> um, Bit Piggies is still out there. Thank God, Crypto Cloaks is still out there. Thank God, um, we've got real good people in the space. Thank God. Let's move on and get into some news. There are four lies about the Bitcoin circular economy, says Brian Harrington, writing for Bitcoin Magazine. And I'm also grateful that Bitcoin Magazine seems to have been producing some uh, shorter content. Uh, this The only reason I haven't been reading Bitcoin magazines is because they've been writing tomes and that's sort of not the, the that's not what I'm looking for. I want to bring you a, I want to bring you a smorgasbord of news and not just one, you know, long read. That's, that's Guy Swan. That's his bag, bro. And he does it very, very well. And I'm not going to, I just don't feel like there needs to be two people doing that. Anyway, let's see what he's got to say here. A Bitcoin circular economy is a closed loop system that designs out all of the corruption and headache of dealing with central bank issued money. Now, savings technology is still the largely dominant story of Bitcoin. It's helpful to take a closer look at a few lies about a topic that's growing in popularity, the Bitcoin circular economy. A Bitcoin circular economy requires ways to earn, save, and spend Bitcoin. Oftentimes, when anyone is making Progress on talking about earning or spending Bitcoin discussions will get derailed by fabrications that we can clean up here right now. One, number go down is better for payments. This is a lie. I agree. Period. There is no way that anyone who cares about Bitcoin actually wants the number to go down. I understand a certain crowd of staunch privacy advocates will tweet, number go down from time to time. I believe that is more to tamp down what they see as unbridled and uninformed optimism rather than than an actual scan of their day-to-day lives and believing that number go down is good for their stack. I think that people who have already cut up their credit cards and left their banks are sometimes frustrated with what they interpret to be 
our casual usage of the word of the word revolution in the West. I see their point, but nevertheless, no one is rooting for number to go down. <laughs> no shit. Number two, payments cause the number to go down because merchants dump for fiat. The whole merchants dumping for fiat thing has not played out in my personal experience of talking to business owners. No one talking about the Bitcoin circular economy is out their door, out of their door, knocking and trying to sign up merchants that are going to dump for fiat. Dumping is obviously antithetical to the entire point of creating the circle to begin with. What is actually happening is more and more people every day are realizing that the tools are available to demand Bitcoin for their services, and so we're starting to see what happens when people do. Number three, spending Bitcoin is only for unbanked nomads. I'm sorry, but my dinner, bought with Bitcoin from last Friday, would like to beg to differ. I'm literally a privileged married person from Southern California with a bank account and a mortgage, and I found a way to buy food directly from another human being and not through a gift card using Bitcoin. To me, that's really amazing, and it's helped me grow my perspective on what we're all doing right here. <clears throat> if you don't want to touch your huddle stack, that's totally understandable. Download the Strike app and get in the circular economy game without touching your stack. The Strike app is a fiat app that pays Bitcoin invoices, so it also solves a lot of other complaints you get from hodlers about not wanting to spend Bitcoin. If you're a business demanding Bitcoin for your goods and services, you definitely want to educate your customers on Strike. I've watched even the most ardent hodlers be amazed. Now I'm going to stop right there before we hit the final one, number four. Okay. Educate your customers, right? This is something that there's a, one of the podcasters that I listen to the most. Uh, well, the podcast is named the survival podcast. The host is a guy named Jack Spearco, uh, who's actually the one that finally got me to pull the trigger on Bitcoin way back in 2015. It's actually in September of 2015, when I looked back at my first uh, first purchase through, you guessed it, Coinbase. Hey, we were all suckers back then. Anyway, one of the things that he said is, he says two things, and they, they always seem to be connected. The first thing is, why do you hate money? And the second part of that is, if you're not educating your, your customers on how to do business with you, like, how to order from you, how to talk to you, how to communicate with you, how to give you money, at what, what kind of money you want to get. If you're not doing any of those things, then you hate money. Don't hate money. Money doesn't hate you. It actually really likes you. It wants to you know, be there for you and put more of itself into your pocket. And that's where you come in. Educate your customers. Believe me, I'm guilty of this shit myself, so I'm not exactly bitching. I'm, I'm actually kind of reminding myself that I kind of hate money. God, I'm such an idiot. Number four, if you like Bitcoin payments, then you don't understand the value proposition of Bitcoin. Seriously? This is probably the most annoying lie I hear about the Bitcoin circular economy. Bitcoin derives value from its hard money attributes and from people hoarding and saving it. This is exactly why Bitcoin payments are actually so exciting. Why would you not want your business to participate in commerce using the best money in the world? Saving Bitcoin and, all, and also demanding people pay you in it return for goods and services are complementary mindsets. They are not at odds. The great news is that in spite of any and all misinformation and misunderstandings, the number will go up, the payments will go round, and the middlemen won't be paid. Watch out for these Bitcoin circular economy lies. 
and don't fall for them. Thank you, Brian Harrington, for injecting a little, you know, a good old-fashioned bitch slap into into the economy here. Uh, I agree with everything that this dude said. I can't find a single thing wrong with any of this, although I'm a hodler. I'm also as far as a maximalist as I can be when you're holding a bag of doge. <clears throat> the Bitcoin family still on the road after three years. <laughs> Do you remember this guy? If you don't, then one of two things has happened. The way that the bit, the way this entire crypto world works is causing us to be very forgetful very quickly. You'll understand why later on in the show. Or you're a newbie, which is fine. We, you, everybody has to be a newbie at one point or another. And you just never heard this story. But in 2017, this guy sold all of his family's possessions. I mean, house, everything. Well, here, let's just listen to what Adriana Hamaker has to say. She's writing this for Decrypt. This is a little bit of a longer read, but it's worth it because we got to remember this dude, all right? Because this guy, I at first I thought he was completely idiotic, but he's turned that frown upside down. Dutchman Didi Tiahutu made headlines around the world in 2017. That's, remember, 20, what it was going on with crypto and uh, Bitcoin in 2017. In 2017, when he sold his profitable business, his family house and cars, and even his children's toys for Bitcoin, believing he'd be a multimillionaire by 2020. With no bank accounts or possessions, and all their savings tied up in a highly volatile in highly volatile cryptocurrency, so he didn't actually just buy Bitcoin. Tiahutu, 41, his wife and three kids embarked on a worldwide adventure, a quest for a decentralized nomad Bitcoin life. <clears throat> I probably should have said decentralized nomadic Bitcoin life, as he described it to Decrypt in a recent call from their current base in Lagos, Portugal. Their journey... Trailed by the world's media has now taken in 40 countries. They've set up crypto-funded projects to help the poor establish their own Bitcoin family brand and merchandise and documented their journey, spending, spreading the crypto gospel in over 200 YouTube videos. But Bitcoin's prices stubbornly refused to reach the giddy heights that Tiahutu predicted and the coronavirus pandemic threatened to derail their glossy odyssey. Nevertheless, his enthusiasm for cryptocurrency remains undiminished. He told us why and how his eldest daughter convinced him they should continue with their quest. God, one of his kids. I love it. <laughs> if, okay, it, it, it wasn't as if they had a bad life before, said Tiahutu. He ran his own business offering computer courses in the Netherlands for 11 years. In fact, rather than the desire to make money, it was the death of his father combined with burnout that prompted him to change his his and his family's lives. He dabbled in crypto as far back as 2013, but in 2017, he suggested to his wife, Romaine, that they sell everything invested in Bitcoin and travel, embracing a new anti-materialistic way of life. The original goal had been to cash out in 2020 and then reinvest when the price dipped again. Bitcoin has a four-year cycle and the next halving, where its supplies cut in half, was due in May of 2020. In the past three cycles, within months of a halving, there had been a bull run, and Tiahutu, along with many others, had guessed that this year would be the same. 
The family had profited from Bitcoin's stratospheric rise after the previous bull run, which saw the cryptocurrency soar from 800 bucks at the beginning of 2017 to an all-time high of 20 grand at its end. At that point, the couple still retained their bank accounts. But getting sucked deeper into Bitcoin's philosophy convinced Tia Hutu that they must lead by example to show their children, but also the wider world. Quote, everybody talks the talk and nobody walks the walk, he said. We'd been shown, or sorry, we'd shown that you could invest all in. Now we had to show that you could live all in. When they first started traveling, there was no app like Coin ATM Radar where you could find places to withdraw funds, and they had to rely on word of mouth to find places that accepted cryptocurrencies. Quote, mainly in the beginning, the first two and a half years, it was really hard, said Tia Hutu. Arriving at the Turkish border on one trip, they couldn't buy a visa and so had to stage an elaborate workaround with a friend accepting their Bitcoin and transferring the funds for a visa onto a Turkish prepaid credit card. These days, they always carry a little cash for emergencies or treats. Quote, adoption in Asia is way ahead of Europe, Tiahutu said. Most notably, he added, it's happening faster in regions of the world where people haven't had ready access to banking, which is exactly what we thought would happen. In the Moluccan Islands, where Tiahutu's father was born, they met locals who didn't know what a bank account was and who were living on a mere dollar a day. Quote, we had been traveling with the kids through Vietnam, Cambodia, the Philippines, Australia, Indonesia, everywhere in the world, and we had proof. I saw the truth. Bitcoin and blockchain are the tools to change this monetary system, end quote. Tiahutu's children get a daily allowance in Bitcoin. The family learn to use Bitcoin ATMs. They turn to apps such as Excel Trip to arrange flights. They bought co- coupons that could be used in supermarkets, and they made ready use of crypto exchange marketplace localbitcoins.com, which puts users in touch with local dealers willing to exchange cash for cryptocurrencies. Quote, it's not that safe. And it's not that easy, said Tiahutu. They also began to ask hotels and shops whether they could pay in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is accepted by half a dozen restaurants in one village on the Thai island of Koh Phangan, thanks to Tiahutu. Good job, bro. Ah, coffee. Coffee's good for you. Sorry, that that's what was the pause. I wish my DAW had a pause button, but it doesn't. Well, I mean, it does, but it causes all kinds of problems. <clears throat> Nowadays, it's much easier, with the exception of groceries, said Tiahutu. There are two European towns that stand out as particularly crypto-friendly, Roverto in Italy and Slovenia's capital, Ljubljana. I, I know I butchered it. I'm sorry, guys. It's nothing personal. For the past three years, the family has crisscrossed between Asia, Oceania, and Europe. They have given a van to, wait a minute, they, oh wow, they were given a van to travel around in by one crypto firm. They went to Vegas, they did a blockchain cruise from Venice, and they were invited to crypto conferences. Tia Hutu trades every day. He's not devoted to Bitcoin alone. Yeah, see, uh, but it still makes up 65% of his holdings. He also consistently holds Ethereum and Litecoin and recently invested in DOT. Oh God. Others include Cody. CTSI, EGLD, Beam, Lind, Cove, and Kai. Stop. He's doubtful about the true extent of decentralization within the booming field of decentralized finance. He's made some gains, but has also heard that many have lost funds. It's because if you got the if you got the gains, then you got their funds. That's the way that works there, Mr. Tiahutu. He compared DeFi to the ICO boom of 2017-2018. 
He also is an advisor to several early stage startups. He in, he's involved in Bulgaria's Blockchain Valley project and House of DAO, a co-living, co-working space where the focus is on blockchain and accelerating blockchain projects. These decentralized communities are going to change the world. Quote, I like that Bitcoin changes lives for poor kids all over the world and that I get an allowance in Bitcoin. Jolie Tiahutu, who's 15, told Decrypt via Telegram, Dad is also teaching me a bit about trading, but I don't know if that's something I want to do right now. I I do know that Dad wants my boyfriend, when I get one, to own Bitcoin. (laughs) Tiahutu's two younger daughters, Juna, 13, and Jessa, 10, told Decrypt that Bitcoin is Quote, really cool. Quote, dad likes Bitcoin a lot. He, 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 <laughs> wrote Jessa. It's, I just like being together a lot with mom and dad. Yeah, who, what kids wouldn't? When COVID first hit, the family was in Spain and they took the decision to return to Thailand where they were then stuck for several months. Tia Hutu has been promised a loan for a new van for five years. Uh, but the arrangement was pulled because of the uncertainty surrounding the pandemic. He decided to stay on the Thai island where the infection rate was low and the family was safe, but Jolie changed his mind, reminding him that he had taught the family never to live in fear. So they flew back to Europe in July. Surprised you were able to get on a plane. After spending time in the Netherlands and in Spain, they decided on a new three- to six-month tour of Portugal to promote their idea of Travel Family and Bitcoin, their new video series they hope will land them a deal with the major podcast or broadcasters such as Netflix. Quote, if you want to have mainstream adoption in this world, you need to focus on everybody, not only crypto people, said Tia Hutu as good advice. By now, he's amassed some enviable contacts in the industry, so a number of companies, including crypto trading bot startup Machina Trader and trading crypto platform Prime XBT, have chipped in to help fund the trip. He's also been invited to advise various early stage startups on strategy and adoption. I'm almost working again, he quips. The van they'll travel in is being painted with the logos of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and kitted out with a rooftop tent. There's no set itinerary, which is in keeping with the family's freedom-loving ethic. But with Bitcoin seemingly stalled at ten dollars to $11,000 for a while now, has the family ever regretted not cashing out more of their savings while it was at its peak when they first started their journey? Quote, of course, we've considered it. And of course, we cashed in a little bit at that point, Tiahutu said. But he went on to explain that as Bitcoin plunged over the first six months of 2018, what started off as an idea to make money quickly evolved into a mission to live life as fully as possible. Quote, we really needed to change life, Romain Tiahutu41 told Decrypt via Telegram. She has no regrets but can imagine settling down again one day by the beach. According to Tia Hutu, cryptocurrencies are a long-term investment, and in the interim, you need to zoom out on crypto and zoom in on life. Bitcoin's price was at four to $6,000 at the time the family bought in, so even at today's prices, their funds have doubled. But that's nothing compared to the life experiences they've gained. And in respect of Bitcoin adoption, the key advice he has to impart is, quote, it's almost impossible to push people into Bitcoin. You need to show them, leading by example, and then they will understand. The same thing applies in life. For the Bitcoin family, this journey has not resulted in quick gains, but as Tia Hutu explains, it was never really about that. It's the experience they've gained as a family through, through divesting themselves of possessions that's enriched their lives. The greatest benefit has been freedom. 
Quote, we had an emotional roller coaster ride from the materialistic to the minimalistic, from normal family life to being a digital nomad family. And then the media attention. It was a huge adventure until now, and the adventure continues to go on, said Tia Hutu. Now, if you still don't remember who this guy is, uh, you re- you know, I read you the story, so you, you kind of know what he did. But you got to remember, or if you don't know, if you don't remember this guy, you don't remember what he's done. You can read the story, but you don't get the context of what's going on around it. At the time that he did this, you should have seen like Reddit post and what was going on on Twitter and the the endless, endless tankards of hopium being quaffed by everybody. It was disgusting. Oh God, it was, and it was like the ICOs were out. I remember Vortex and Tone Vase were were double teaming an interview with this chick in a bikini. And she was like the, had been hired as the CTO of this ICO company or this uh, altcoin or whatever. And she's just, I mean, just, I mean, on fire hot and dumb as a box of rocks. And apparently she was homeless the week before. And now she's like the chief technology officer of this altcoin. It was exploding everywhere. It was like walking through a minefield, but when you got a bomb dropped on you, it didn't kill you. It just made you feel real good. And then the crash came, like a couple of months, you know, after all this happened. And then the whole field turned to blood and guts, and it was it was horrible to watch. The amount, the number of times that I saw a suicide prevention hotline up on Reddit, and this is not a joke, man. People sometimes were posting it as a joke, but more often than not, when I read into the context of the Reddit post, it was not. It was because it was in response to somebody who had lost everything because they put a third mortgage on their house and went all in Litecoin, and then it crashed. And it was story after story after story that, and all that happened hot on the heels of this dude doing what he did. And then I didn't hear anything out of him ever again. I am really grateful for this story from Decrypt to come out to remind me that this guy and his family are doing fine, bro. Doing absolutely fine. <clears throat> and so is this one, Bitcoin Upgrade. The GLV endomorphism test shows a 28% faster verification. Shara Malwa, writing for btctimes.com, sometime early this morning, says a recent test by CASA co-founder Jameson Lopp revealed that enabling the GLV endomorphism implementation for Bitcoin Core can make the network faster and more efficient by several notches. On Monday, Lop tweeted, I ran four different syncs of Bitcoin Core to benchmark the real-world performance improvements offer, excuse me, offered by enabling GLV endomorphism. The results were better than expected. He noted that the default synchronization speed during his test increased by over 18% while full verification of all historical signatures was 28% faster. I can't wait. I literally cannot wait until this gets enabled in my node. GLV endomorphism, first proposed back in 2011 by Bitcoin developer Hal Finney, made a comeback last week after a patent that had previously complicated the protocol's utilization in the Bitcoin code expired on September the 26th, 2020. 
The implementation of GLV endomorphism will allow Bitcoin full nodes to verify signatures using a different mechanism in order to accelerate transaction sync. It would also speed up the initial block download that is required when the Bitcoin Core client is launched for the first time and reduce CPU usage while validating newly broadcast blocks and transactions. As the BTC Times reported last week, the feature had already been rigorously tested throughout the development of the libsecp256k1 library, making the optimization just as well tested and mature as any other part of the library. GLV endomorphism is expected to ship with Bitcoin Core's next release. So be on the lookout, dude. The endomorphs are coming. And guess who's not leaving? Ethereum miners bank record $166 million in September fees. Shara Malwa is writing this one also for Decrypt.co. Oh, actually, is writing, also writing this one, but for Decrypt.co. Do it that way. and was written sometime this morning. Miners on the Ethereum network recorded their highest ever earnings in September 2020, according to data from on-chain analytics service Glassnode. The growth of the decentralized finance or DeFi market in the crypto space was a major factor behind the rise. Miners are entities or individuals who utilize computing rigs to maintain and mine blocks on proof-of-work cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum for, quote, rewards in the form of tokens that they are mining. Increased network and individual smart contract activity led to higher rewards for miners as participants bid higher to get their transactions executed sooner. Quote, Ethereum miners made a total of $166 million in transaction fees in September, which is a new all-time high, Woo-hoo! said Glassnode in a tweet. The metric represented an increase of 47% compared to the previous high set in August. In contrast, Bitcoin miners made only $26 million from fees last month. Yeah, well, guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen? Some miners said much of the growth came as increased trading activity in low-cap DeFi projects and non-fungible tokens, often having funny-sounding names like Meme and Shroom, ended up attracting huge retail capital. Quote, because of the DeFi boom, transaction fees and miner earnings were really high, Thomas Heller, chief operating officer of mining firm Hashrate, told Decrypt. DeFi tokens are usually traded on decentralized exchanges such as Uniswap, which currently boasts over $2 billion in liquidity, according to tracking site DeFi Pulse. Compared to centralized exchanges like Binance, all DEX transactions are carried out on-chain on the Ethereum blockchain, as opposed to the in-house trade matching engines of CEXs. That's a centralized exchange. This means miners approve and conduct each decentralized exchange trade and hence gain money on each trade. In March and April of this year, Glassnode data shows Ethereum miners made an average of $4 million in fees. However, the earnings started picking up in June and July when the DeFi industry started to gain steam due to the launch of lending protocol Compound. Miners pocketed $22 million and $32 million in June and July, respectively. The data shows the earnings are likely to go up as more trading transactions and smart contracts Interactions are made on the Ethereum network, and while some industry observers say DeFi could be a bubble, miners are likely hoping it doesn't burst anytime soon. Until ETH 2.0. That's what I've come, that's what I was coming to. Okay, for so for two things. One is Sharwa was a little negligent in not bringing up the fact that they're trying to move to proof of stake which means all the rigs of all these miners that just made all this money are going to go away or 
are they? See, this is what I mean when I say that what's going to happen to Ethereum is, um, yeah, it's going to split. There's going to be a hard fork. These miners are not going to give this, this up. And taking all of DeFi and converting it all to work on a proof-of-stake platform is going to take a lot longer than people think, especially when most of the people that are behind these really crappy DeFi tokens, actually all of them are, are crappy, okay? So every single one of them, all the ones that made a bunch of money, well, guess what they're going to be more inclined to do? They're going to be more inclined to go buy the yacht and hang out on the coast of, I don't know, some Caribbean island than they are to do the work it's going to take to convert all this crap over to proof of stake. And then they're going to have to, even if they do, they're going to have to figure out what the new game theory structure is going to be between DeFi and, and, and having all of their transactions validated on a proof of stake uh, blockchain. If it even happens, hell, I mean, yesterday I gave you the story that their test net, their Genesis block mining thing, their, their setup, their dress rehearsal for the activation of ETH 2.0 failed. And they got to they do it again. So that there's like questions all over the place on this one. But you know who's not asking questions right now are miners on Ethereum using proof of work that are making $166 million in a month. Not all of them. I mean, this is the, the, that was the aggregate, but still, you get my drift. If you made a million dollars as one miner in the month of September, what you're not going to do is be happy about the move to, to ETH 2.0. It's not going to happen. Let's run the numbers. Futures. <clears throat> Back to the futures, cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities. We have oiled down 1.6% on the West Texas Intermediate. We are now down below 40 bucks a barrel. Brent North Sea, not faring much better. They're down 1.5% and they're at 41.7 bucks a barrel. However, natural gas has swung to the upside by one and three or one and one third of a point. Metals, we've got a rebound on most of the good metals. Uh, gold is back over $1,900. I guess that's good news for Peter Schiff. That is a almost a half a percent rise. Silver is up a point to $23.74. Platinum is up a scant. It's still at $909. I, I still don't understand that because as far as I know, platinum is less scarce than gold is. Eh, whatever. Uh, let's see. Currencies, indexes. Oh, we're saved. Thank God. We've recovered from the crash that was the clown show of the debate. And no, I, I didn't watch the, I, I but I did laugh my ass off from my Twitter feed. You guys are awesome. Again, I'll, I'll, you guys are awesome. Dow futures are up almost a point. S and P futures up almost a point. Nasdaq futures up a point and a quarter, and the S and P mini is up almost a point. So we're all saved. Bitcoin. Let's talk about actual money. Ten thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars per per the corn. Let's see who's got the high. It looks like it's probably gonna be Bit Asset at ten thousand eight hundred ninety six bucks, and a low is gonna be over at. Uh, 
Ooh, let's see. Coinbase. It's got it's a tie between Coinbase and G uh GDAX at eight at ten thousand eight hundred and seventy-five dollars. Three hundred and twenty-five thousand transactions were made over the last twenty-four hours. That's about thirteen thousand five hundred transactions on average per hour, with a little over two million BTC being sent in that period. That's about 86,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 6.42 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.049 BTC right at 533 bucks, which is exactly what it was yesterday, if I remember correctly. Block times are normal, 9 minutes and 8 seconds. 0.6 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 93 BTC have been taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. Well, we've had a hash rate increase of almost 8.5%. We are at 143 exahashes per second. Ethereum is at $367. Bcash at 232 BSV at 177 Litecoin at 47.8 Ethereum Classic at 5.5 Dogecoin at 0.0027 with 40,000 transactions on the Doge network in the last 24 hours. It beats out Ethereum Classic and Bcash. Litecoin looks like their transactions are going down. Uh, they're only at 133,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Let's see what Clark has to say. This is bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard. Price that he's looking at is $10,882. Lightning Network, we have 100, or it's, God, I keep doing that, 1,115 BTC in the network. That's about 12.1 million in capacity. There's 7,566 nodes with 37,422 channels. Tor capacity has dropped by a tenth of a percent. 49.6% is the uh, percentage of the uh, the percentage of Tor capacity on the Lightning Network. That's going to be, let's see, 553.5 BTC, and that's going to be over 2,467 Tor Lightning Network nodes. That will do it for finals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to begin this one with Andrew Fenton's piece from Cointelegraph about BSV or the CoinGeek conference. He says, organic growth, Bitcoin SV activity up 761% ahead of the BSV conference. Six hours ago, he wrote this thing. Okay, B, uh, Bitcoin SV users appear to have gotten very excited ahead of the conference. Oh, yes, I'm. I'm I'm sure that they have. Active addresses and transaction counts on the Bitcoin SV network saw unbelievable growth in the last two days leading up to the CoinGeek Live conference in New York this week. Nobody actually gives a shit, but hey, you know, whatever. It's organic, right? Active BSV addresses grew from 110,000 on September the 28th to 947,000 addresses today. That's an astonishing rate of 761% in just two days leading up to the CoinGeek Live, which kicked off on September the 30th at 9 a.m. New York time and will run until October the 2nd. The spike in active addresses raised eyebrows on crypto Twitter. Bitcoin SV and Craig Wright antagonist Arthur Van Pelt reposted Sir Toshi's chart 
that calls attention to the fact BSV has managed to overtake the Ethereum network in the middle of a DeFi boom. He says sarcastically, quote, seems legit. Organic growth, I think, has nothing to do with CG Live, I bet, end quote. Bitcoin influencer Hodel and not responded with a facepalm emoji. Transactions on the Bitcoin SV network have more than doubled in the same period from 715,000 to 1.7 million today. That's a growth of 145% in 48 hours leading up to the conference. Average transaction values, meanwhile, fell by two thirds over the same period. However, it's possible that the spike could simply be a coincidence as the network does see some unusual burst of activities on occasion. Active addresses spiked to over 1 million briefly on June the 24th and transactions spiked to 5.5 million on July the 10th. The CoinGeek Live Conference is mostly an online affair and feature speakers include Enchain's controversial chief scientist Wright, Bitcoin Association President Jimmy Wynn, and Fundstrat Global Manager Partner Thomas Lee. Oh, God, Tom, why did you go? In his opening address, Wynn said that Bitcoin SV has incentives to discourage bad behavior, but apparently hasn't worked, and noted that the original Bitcoin white paper mentions the words honest 25 times. No, 15 times. Still, though, that's... That's bizarre. According to CoinGeek's report on Wynn's address, uh, Bitcoin SV currently processes more, what, more than 2,800 transactions per second on its mainnet and is aiming for 50,000 in the near future. The forthcoming TerraNode Enterprise Tier Protocol aims to have one terabyte transaction blocks. Wynn said that Bitcoin SV is the foundational rule set for an entire network and is, quote, reinventing the internet. In somewhat related news, the Supreme Court of Norway has rejected Craig Wright's jurisdictional appeal. Uh, Satoshi claimant has been trying to sue Hodel and for libel in the UK, but will now have to go through Norwegian courts. Hodel and said that the court has awarded him another $6,000 on top of the $60,000 already. Let's see if there's anything else. Yeah. So there you go. Organic growth. Wow. Now, <clears throat> getting back into other shit coinery. The SEC orders SALT lending to offer refunds to investors in its $47 million ICO. This was written yesterday by Patty Baker for Coindesk. Let's get into this bullet point list. The Securities and Exchange Commission told SALT Blockchain Incorporated, the owner of the lending platform that offers dollar-denominated loans collateralized by cryptocurrencies, that it would have to begin the process of offering refunds to investors. It will have 14 days to issue a press release announcing the order on its website in a public letter. The SEC said SALT's ICO violated securities regulations by not registering the sale beforehand. It's coming, people. Your beloved bag is about to get raided. The SEC said the token counted as a security because SALT told investors they could expect to make a return on their investment. Investors will have three months after the filing of a registration statement to submit a claim to SALT, which will be obligated to pay back their investment along with any agreed interest. SALT has agreed to settle the action and will pay a $250,000 civil penalty to the commission in the next 10 days. The lending platform has also agreed to register its SALT tokens, currently trading at $0.05 as securities with the SEC. The settlement means SALT will not have to agree or deny the commission's findings. Your bag of salt is going down in flames. I'm just saying, man, we warned you. 
and you laugh. Well, not you guys. You know who I'm talking about. Whatever. Coindesk has Lee Kuhn writing this one for uh, something about NFTs. What is it? Oh, oh, thirst traps explode on NFT platforms with predictably controversial results. Oh, controversy. I love it. Sexy selfies and feminist gifts are selling like hotcakes on non-fungible token markets. But not everyone is thrilled about this trend. Blockade Games co-founder Marguerite de Courcy, yeah, I'm not being able to do that one, who sold more than $160,000 worth of NFTs before the NFT craze really kicked off in August 2020, launched a cypherpunk self-portrait NFT in early September, and she says, or and said she intends to explore more personal tokens over the next year. See, I told you this. Th- I reported on the narrative shift from NFTs to to people tokens. You bet your bottom dollar this is going to happen. It's going to happen real quick. Quote, I brought in about $20,000 a month. I haven't really focused on selling personal NFTs as part of my business model, she said. She marketed the campaign with photos of herself, portraits that clearly required styling and editing skills, which predictably attracted trolls and harassment on social media. Some trolls suggested models can't be trusted. The infamous temptress trope comparing de Corcel, I guess that's how you pronounce her name, to beauty queen Jessica Versteeg, who is being charged with fraud, but de Corcel wasn't deterred. Quote, the Bitcoiners that see me with a personal token are outraged that I am selling a scam with my good looks. Most of my supporters and fans enjoy that I'm so front and center, she said. It brings more transparency as I try to be more personable and engaging. <laughs> she said haters suggest she must choose to either be a model or an influ- and an influencer or a developer and a designer. As if she couldn't be both. Like many different types of influencers, crypto influencers often market by modeling, which plays out across social media instead of fashion magazines and runways. For example, Rachel Crypto Finally Siegel collaborated with a variety of artists using Rarible in September to issue dozens of NFTs inspired by her selfies. She said one of her NFTs sold for hundreds of dollars worth of crypto, one ETH, and another of her NFTs is a lingerie photo titled, I'm in it for the money, listed at $3,600 worth of ETH. It's a slippery slope into pornography, guys. I'm telling you. Siegel said she hasn't cashed out any of her earnings yet. Instead, she uses them to mint new NFTs. Tokens are not miners. Tokens are digital pieces of cloth on the internet. They don't actually do anything. They can represent something, but they don't do anything. Let's get that straight. They don't mint new NFTs. And the fact that this is a thing, it's a scam. I'm telling you, man. Anyway, she mints new NFTs, buys collectibles from other artists and pay for other types of transactions. Many of these pieces are complex images, not simple selfies, all using her general vibe and features. Quote, the selfies are representative of a new, of new demographics starting to enter the NFT markets. Some crypto-savvy women are now using NFTs to profit from their public image, selling to fans who understand they're basically paying a tribute to the creator in exchange for a blockchain-based receipt. 
If sex workers can sell bath water or socks and podcasters can sell stickers, why can't crypto influencers sell blockchain receipts? In response to the haters who call these women vain and accuse them of harming the industry, Siegel tweeted, if my selfies alone have the power to destroy crypto, then honestly, let it burn, boys. Laugh my ass off. Let it burn. I kind of actually have to agree with that. If it's if crypto is so fragile that this stupid shit gets in its way, then it needs to burn down. Okay. And actually 99.999% of crypto needs to burn down anyway. And God, I hope it does. While some women find new conduits for artistic expression in NFT markets, others are dismayed to find their images used by strangers. <gasps> who would have thought? For example, the web developer and painter who goes by Ash Toshi said her bikini selfie was put up for auction via Rarible without her consent for over $1,000 worth of crypto. Although it may be unlawful for a stranger to profit from her misappropriated image, depending on the source, Ash Toshi herself struggled to get support from the platform to sell her art. She's one of the critics who thinks selfie NFTs are silly. Quote, while of course my pictures were posted publicly on my Twitter, to have them taken from my page and then attempt to be sold with promises of writing a personal person's name on my boobs, etc., is a bit unsettling. Ash Toshi said in an interview, it's unfortunate because I did ask to be verified on Rarible the same day I posted my art, but it never happened just because it's a scam. <clears throat> Quote, I won't be posting anything else on Rarible or using the platform for anything from here on out. While the ideas of NFTs is super fascinating, I think there's absolutely, or there absolutely has to be some type of verification measures put in place to guarantee that what you are purchasing is an authentic piece of art, Ashtoshi said. Ironically, a blockchain receipt only proves authenticity if the artist invests legal resources to, de to defend personal brands. No one suggests male influencers deserve to have selfies misappropriated the way women are slut-shamed for selfies taken from Twitter. Some might say the self-portrait NFT trend is part of a wider push by feminist crypto fans to de-stigmatize de self-sovereignty especially with regards to the female body. Crypto-savvy artists like Kitty Bast, Camille and Caroline Dye blur the lines between evocative portraits and digital collectibles. Ash Toshi said she wished she had posted her painting NFTs anonymously to avoid her debacle. Other artists use anonymity to court controversy, such as the team called Buterin Sisters after Ethereum creator Vitaly Buterin. They made a... God, they made a clitoris GIF NFT for roughly $54, which was traded by several collectors. Buterin sisters said they met other feminists in the space by promoting this NFTs and hopefully to play and hope to playfully educate a few men as well. Quote, we are feminists, and when we discovered the Rarible platform, we realized that there were more mostly creations made by men and for men. It seemed interesting. To us, to show feminine creations, Buter and Sisters said in an interview, quote, we want to use the Web 3.0 tech to fight the patriarchy and develop feminist representations with decentralized infrastructure, which cannot be censored. Anatomy is political. Yeah, and rareables are going to be stolen from you and reposted everywhere that there is a, an NFT platform and sold by people who are better at making money on your shit than you are. You just keep that in mind as we go forward because who, guess who, again, guess who's not interested in making you whole? The people of Rarible or any other NFT platform. 
it's going to take somebody with a whole bunch of ethics to come through for you guys and, and actually figure out how to do this kind of thing properly. And guess what? The minute you mix like digital blockchains and authenticity and proof of work or proof of stake with you mix any of that crap with meat space, the real world, like my mortgage on the blockchain, uh, my claim to a piece of land on the blockchain ridiculous ideas. Why? Because my land is not on the blockchain. Only a claim to the land is actually on quote unquote the blockchain. Men with guns that storm my land on the earth can take it from me and they don't care what the blockchain says. So this whole NFT and the the lawsuits that are fixing to come down the pipe and I guarantee there's going to be plenty of them going to be a fun time. It's going to be, that's all I'm going to say. It's going to be fun times. <clears throat> the SEC has won a historic lawsuit against Kick over the $100 million ICO. This is Jeff Banson writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. U.S. District Court Judge Alvin Hellerstein today granted the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission its motion for summary judgment against Kick Interactive, which the SEC alleged offered Ken Digital Tokens in violation of the Federal Securities Act. The ruling comes more than six months after both sides filed motions for summary judgment, seeking to bring the court case to an end without trial. Now the historic civil case is one step closer to its inevitable conclusion. Penalties. Kick is a Canadian company with a messenger app of the same name. It saw creating its own cryptocurrency, Kin, as a way of monetizing app usage. So, Kick sold $50 million in Kin tokens from June to September of 2017 as part of a private pre-sale to 50 investors. As part of this, quote, simple agreement for future tokens, or SAFT, investors understood that they were getting in at a discount. They explicitly agreed that they were, buy- that they were buying a security. Later in September, Kick held a public sale for the token, during which it brought in an addition excuse me, an additional $49.2 million. When Ken was announced, the SEC had yet to create rules for governing cryptocurrencies like it. The agency's Dow report, which set some tough, rough guidelines for when token offerings could be considered securities, came out in July 2017 and Kick was putting its sales, as Kick was putting its sales into motion. Two years later, the SEC charged Kick with violating Section 5 of the Securities Act it had offered and sold securities in the United States without being registered to do so. The judge agreed, though he noted there was little in the way of judicial precedent guiding him. The crux of the case surrounded whether the sale met the Howey test, a century-old yardstick for identifying a security, which reads, there must be, one, an investment of money, two, in a common enterprise, three, with profits derived solely from the efforts of others. While both Kick and the SEC agreed that money was invested, they disagreed on parts two and three. In terms of common enterprise, Judge Hellerstein wrote in his order of, for summary judgment, quote, Kick established a common enterprise. Kick deposited the funds into a single bank account. Kick used the funds for its operations, including the construction of the digital ecosystem that it promoted, end quote. As for part three, there has to be an expectation of profits. Judge Hellerstein again said there was, using the words of Kick CEO Ted Livingston against him, quote, in public statements and at public events promoting Ken, Kick extolled Ken's profit-making potential. Kick CEO explained the role of supply and demand in driving the value of Ken, end quote. 
The judgment doesn't quite bring the case to a close. Instead, it mandates that the parties shall jointly submit a proposed judgment for injunctive and monetary relief by October the 20th. So, yeah, whatever. You know what? Let's just end it there. I was going to do the BitPanda news, but honestly, I'm just getting... Uh, I'm just getting tired of this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> sorry. That's going to do it for the morning wrap-up. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Gage at Lycanop, L-Y-C-A-N-N-O-P-E. And he's got a, I guess, a screenshot of a, of a news article. It says, 27-year-old who hasn't woken up before 9.30 a.m. in eight years thinks he could run a farm if society crumbles. Okay, so apparently this is a real thing. And in fact, it's from the Beaverton from July 26, 2017 by a guy named Jacob Duarte Spiel. So it's a, it was a real thing. I thought it was a joke. And so did a whole bunch of other people until the Beaver, like a whole bunch of other people upvoted this tweet from uh, Gage. It like hit thousands of whatever. Anyway, apparently the Beaverton actually got a hold of Gage and said, you know, maybe you should credit the people who wrote this, who write the stuff that you like. And I think that's why I don't get any pushback for this particular podcast is because I give full accreditation to every single person when I can, which is like 99% of the time. It, it's very rare I run across an article uh, that I, I don't know the author's name because I can't find it or the time that it was written or who it was written for. Um, I always do that. That's the reason I do that. Full attribution. That's the only ethical thing to do. I don't write any of this stuff. I compile it. I do the work. I read it to you. I do the editing on the podcast and then I publish the podcast. But the majority of the material that I'm presenting is not mine. Therefore, it is only ethical to make damn sure that you understand and that everybody understands whose work it actually is. It's the only ethical thing to do. And honestly, nobody's given me any shit about it at all. Like not one time has somebody, you know, DM'd me or anything to say, you know, cease and desist, bro. And I think the reason is, is because I'm giving full attribution. I'm making sure that the people that are responsible for the, for the stuff that I'm doing are appreciated and their names are actually, you know, presented out there. But still, this is actually rather funny. Somebody who hasn't woken up before 930 thinks they can run a farm after society crumbles. That's probably not going to happen. Six, like literally a dozen chickens are kind of a handful. Okay, that's, you're running a farm, dude, that you're, you better be up at three o'clock in the morning. If you, if, I mean, if it's a society crumbles kind of thing and you're literally having to do this for, to live to the next day. Yeah. You better be waking up at three or four o'clock in the morning to get all the chores done so that animals don't die. Crops don't die. Stuff gets fed, stuff gets watered, things get harvested. I mean, all of that has to be done, right? So yeah, society. God. Okay. Now. Dad says jokes. I was gutted this afternoon when my wife told me that my five-year-old son wasn't actually mine. 
She then told me I needed to pay more attention at school pickup. <laughs> yeah. Kind of get in trouble for that kind of crap. Anyway, that's going to do it for me, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.